Well, we've been doing a, uh, a series at first and third. Bernie, Bernie was going to be gone, actually, this Sabbath, so he asked me to speak uh, after the, the Crushed series, which actually didn't end last week because he wasn't able to speak last week, but it'll end next week. But he asked me to speak this week for him because he was going to be out of town, but I don't know if you, if you heard all the story. Uh, Bernie's youngest daughter, Liberty, had kind of a tough week. She's been sick for a little while and actually spent a couple days in the hospital this week. Uh, so be praying for them. And uh, he was going to be gone this weekend. He had to go for a couple days at the end of the week, but he's actually back in town, but they're, uh, they're spending a day together. So I get the chance to be here today, and that's awesome. I'm glad to join second. Sorry, guys, you were at first. You have to hear the same sermon again. But um, So great to be here today. But we've been doing a, a series at first and third service uh, centered around the concept of creation health. And and uh, last week in particular, we dwelt on the subject of interpersonal relationships. And, and it was after we did that message that, that some very important video footage uh, came to light, um, was unearthed somewhere, that uh, some pretty hard-hitting reporting had been done uh, with a number of experts on the subject. And uh, since you didn't get to hear the message last week, we thought we could just encapsulate the whole thing uh, in this little short video here. And then we'll go on with what we're going to talk about today. So, so here you go, uh, all about interpersonal relationships. Raising Hell TV. Today we're going to be talking about something special interpersonal relationships. How do you feel about interpersonal relationships? Hmm? What'd you say? No, no, no. It helps you make friends and helps you feel welcome with around people. Mm-hmm. I think it's great because it helps me make friends and helps me bond with my family. Um, interpersonal relationships are really, really important because they keep you and your family together. They keep um, you making friends. I think they're like really good to have because if you if you don't have like interpersonal relationships, you'll like won't be able to do much in your life and you'll just be bored and sitting around the house playing video games and you won't get to do a lot of stuff. It's like fun and cool. Hmm, who is your best friend in the whole world? Okay, Tyler is one of my best friends. My sisters. My brothers. My friend Ella is my best friend at school. Brady and Niall. My family. Brandon and Marley. Interesting. And how did they make you feel? They encourage me and um, they make me feel happy. Like I'm lucky to have such good friends. Nice. Proud. Excited. 
Sometimes happy, sometimes sad, sometimes. How would you feel without your friends and family? I would feel like I didn't have anybody and that I was on my own. someone around to help me when I needed help. Not fun and nothing to look forward to and just feel not included in anything. How can you be a good friend to other people? I can be kind to them. You can invite them to your house. You can bring stuff to them if they're sick. You can comfort them when they're sad. Be kind and love them. I can obey the Ten Commandments and obey the Bible and use that as a reference to my life. Wow. Hey, by the way, I really enjoyed this interview. Thank you. to understand interpersonal relationships. I'm Braylon for Creation of TV. Bye-bye. See you next time. All right, with hard-hitting reporting like that, we knew you would need to see that as well. So I hope you learned some lessons there about interpersonal relationships. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that uh, your spirit will be with us today, that we might, by your grace, gain a good outlook for living. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a family text at our house that uh, we memorize and we say to each other. It goes like this. It's from Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, I said this is a, a family text. I'm not saying it's necessarily something we always do well. But do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. <clears throat> Your outlook makes a huge difference in your life. I want to read you a list of names, names of some very important, very significant people who, had you been living in their day, you would have known as leaders and very respectable folks. Let me know how many of these names you recognize. Here we go. Here's the list. Very important people. Uh, Shemua, son of Zakur. Anybody remember him? Shaphat, son of Hori. Egal, son of Joseph, Palti, son of Raphu, Gadiel, son of Sodi, Gadi, son of Susi, Amiel, son of Gamali, Sether, son of Michael, Nabi, son of Zofsi, Guel, son of Maki. You remember those guys, right? No? Nothing? Well, let me try a couple other names on you, see if any of you have ever heard of these guys. Caleb, son of Jephunneh. And Joshua, son of Nun. Anybody heard of them? 
I want to suggest to you today that the reason you don't know those first 10 names I read, but the reason you know the last two is due to outlook. All of these men saw and experienced the same thing, but outlook is what determined their response and ultimately determined how long they lived. The story goes like this. It's found in Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, for I am, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. All of these guys were leaders. <clears throat> these are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi. From the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph, Gadi, son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gemali. From the tribe of Asher, Sethir, son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vofsi. Never can say that one. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Maki. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. And then the Bible gives us this parenthetical. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. That's why you didn't hear Joshua in that list. Twelve men, all of essentially equal standing in the community, all exposed to the same experiences, yet two would be different from ten. And I'm suggesting to you today the difference was outlook. Verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So for these 12, the mission given is simple and straightforward. Go into the land and bring back a report concerning it. So here's the larger context of what's going on. The nation of Israel, they're not even really a nation yet, but the people of Israel are standing on the border of the promised land. It's been more than two years since they left Egypt, but less than three. They've had a number of experiences. All that went on with the plagues in Egypt. Then there was the crossing through the Red Sea. Then there was the time they spent at the foot of Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given. And God had given them many other instructions. And now, here is Israel poised on the edge of the promised land. And it's time to go forward. But if you know this story, you know that's not what's going to happen. And I want to suggest to you today that outlook was the reason. Verse 21, 
So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkal, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So, so here's what's happened. For 40 days, these 12 men have traveled together. They saw the exact same sights. They experienced the exact same events. They shared the exact same challenges, and they lived the exact same reality. But when they got back, they didn't tell the exact same story. Outlook. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here, here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So here's what they said. The land is good, just look at the fruit. But the land is also full of giants and strong people who live in strong cities. Now, so far, this is primarily just a telling of the facts. Though one can already, I think, begin to hear a creeping fearfulness in the story. And that is why I believe it is at this point that in the text, Caleb jumps in before things go too far. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Caleb's outlook here is clear and simple. And it isn't based on presumption, nor is it based on foolhardiness. Yes, all of this is true. The land is good. Yes, there are giants. Yes, there are strong people. Yes, there are walled cities. But this is the land that God promised to give us while we were in Egypt. So what are we waiting for? I don't know for sure how God's going to do it, but if God is for us, who could be against us, right? Now, I I don't know that he said that exactly. Those exact words actually were written by Paul, so it'd be a while before that was written down. But I'll bet he said something close to that. Unfortunately, Caleb's word wouldn't be the last word. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than us. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. 
All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. It's a little different outlook, isn't it? They said, we are too weak. The land is good, but it devours its people. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes before them. Outlook makes a difference because it will define what you see and what you feel and what you believe. And when you have a hopeless outlook, that hopeless outlook will quickly lead to despair, to complaining, to faithlessness, and to rebellion. Just watch as it takes place. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. A hopeless outlook led to despair. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we died in Egypt or in this wilderness. A hopeless outlook leads to complaining. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? A hopeless outlook leads to faithlessness. And then this, verse 4, And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. A hopeless outlook leads to rebellion. Caleb and Joshua, again, try to jump in and turn things around. Verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. It's an inspiring speech, isn't it? Unfortunately, it came too late because the people had already chosen a hopeless outlook that said they would suffer and die. And they didn't appreciate Caleb and Joshua hanging around with this pointless optimism. And it is at this point that the Lord steps in, but not until danger arises. Verse 10, Caleb and Joshua have just given this this inspiring speech, but here's the response. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. When everybody has decided it's hopeless, They're not very welcoming of folks around being optimistic, are they? Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? That's a good question for God to ask, isn't it? And I think it's a good question that ought to hit home for us as well. How's your outlook today? How is your faith in the goodness of the Lord? 
Can God be trusted with your life and with your eternal outcomes? Can you, with your life, keep a good outlook even when your situation is dire? I want to stress something again here. The difference in response after the spying mission between Caleb and Joshua and the other ten spies was not related to what they saw or experienced in the land because they all saw and experienced the exact same things. The difference was in their outlook. Caleb and Joshua believed that God had promised them the land and because they took God at his word, they didn't care how high the city walls were or how big the giants were, they were ready to roll. So understand this important point. A positive outlook isn't the product of an easy life. A positive outlook is a choice, and it is a choice that must be made every day, every morning. It is the determination to believe that God is good and that God rewards those who are faithful to him, regardless of the hardships past and regardless of the hardships yet to come. If you don't believe this is possible, just watch this story and then tell me what you think. It is every kid's worst nightmare, and six-year-old Jaden Hayes has lived it. Ah! Twice. First, he lost his dad when he was four. Then last month, his mom died unexpectedly in her sleep. I tried and I tried and I tried to get her away. Couldn't. Jaden is understandably heartbroken. Anybody can die. That's anybody. But there's another side to his grief. A side he first made public a few weeks ago when he told his aunt and now guardian, Barbara DeCola, that he was sick and tired of seeing everyone sad all the time. And he had a plan to fix it. And that was the beginning of it. That's where the adventure began. (laughs) Jaden asked his Aunt Barbara to buy a bunch of little toys and bring them here to downtown Savannah, Georgia, near where he lives. Thank you, sweetie. So he could then... Want me to have it? ...give them away. Thank you, man. What is it you're doing? Well, I'm trying to make people smile. Rubber duckies, dinosaurs... Because those are the things that make people smile. Yeah. And what happens to their face? Really? Really. See that man right there? Jaden targets people who aren't already smiling and then turns their day around. You made me smile. He's gone out on four different occasions now, and he's always successful. It's to make you smile. Even if sometimes he doesn't get exactly the reaction he was hoping for. It is just so overwhelming to some people that a six-year-old orphan would give away a toy, expecting nothing in return except a smile. Of course, he is paid handsomely in hugs. And his aunt says these reactions have done wonders for Jaden. It's like sheer joy came out of this child. And the more people that he made smile, the more this light shone. Jaden says that's mostly true. But I'm still sad that my mom died. I bet you are. This is by no means a fix. But in the smiles he's made so far, nearly 500 at last count, 
Jaden has clearly found a purpose. I'm counting on it to beat 33,000. 33,000? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big goal. Mm-hmm. You think you can make that goal? Uh-huh. I think I can. I think he just did. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Outlook. Outlook is what keeps the faithful going, even when everything seems impossible. Hebrews chapter 11 tells the stories of many men and women of faith who kept on going when most would have given up or quit. This particular passage ends with these words, verse 32, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies." Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Now, I suppose they did all this because they got a reward immediately, right? Oh, no. Here's how this chapter ends, verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. And then comes this admonition to us in the next chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Outlook. Sure, there were giants in the land, but Caleb and Joshua didn't have their eyes on the giants. They had their eyes on the Lord. And that made all the difference. Sure, there's trials in life. Sometimes both your mom and your dad die when you're still a kid. And all society says you would be justified to be angry and rebellious the rest of your days. 
But some kids just don't see it that way. And I know you have had trouble in your life. And probably you could very well make a case why your outlook should be dark. But don't forget, it's not the facts of the world and the facts of your life that determine your outlook. If you look to the world, your outlook will be dark. But if you look at Jesus... If you fix your eyes on him, you will say just like Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Outlook. Where are you fixing your eyes? It's your choice. But how about this? Start every day by fixing your eyes on Jesus. It will make all the difference in your outlook. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Caleb and Joshua had the exact same experience as the others, but rather than having their eyes on the giants, they had their eyes on the Lord. Our lives are filled with challenge and trouble. And if we fix our eyes on that, we will be pessimistic with a dark outlook. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, then we will have hope. So, Lord, I pray, teach us how to look past the darkness and trouble and see light in the face of Jesus so that we can live with hope. Give us that good outlook. In Jesus' name, amen.